shameless with like I chew a lot of gum yeah and so I'm not proud to admit this but I've definitely see it's hard for me to say Are you used to chuck <sighs> it leave it where it lies type of guy big time <laughs> in the, like in public yes yeah. like I have whipped gum before sure yeah yeah, yeah. uh but I've also stuck it underneath things before wow yeah, I know. I'm a bad guy I I admit it I'm a bad guy like that is bad I can't tell you the last time I've done the like. Not stick at a of... restaurant. Okay, thank God. Because at a restaurant you could just ask for a napkin. Yeah, takes two seconds. Yes. But I'm saying in a in a, a place no napkins. I've done I've done a TTC. I've done a stick and go. TTC. Oh, Have stick. you done the stick? I don't. I no because in the TTC, if I've ever done it, it's been a under the seat. Okay. Toss. Okay. But okay, I okay. have done that. <laughs> I have done that. I'm sorry. How many? Uh, how many gums are under that table right now? <laughs> no, zero. I would never do it at work, although I will admit that one time in a long time ago. Yeah, see, Simon's checking, but it's, you won't find it. I'm not going to lie. There is? This state right here. You never sit here, but right no. here. Yeah, there's gum. Gum under the table. Under yours? Oh, yeah. See, I never sat there. Have you ever seen me sit where Simon sits? No. Exactly. So you know who that is? Simon? <laughs> it's not no. me. I don't chew gum. It's it's one of only two people could be the criminal perpetrator. Well, actually, there's fill-in guys right now. Actually, now we got to solve this mystery because <laughs> I got to tell you, I just admitted that I am a gum sticker and thrower. Like, I'm I'm admitting to my crimes, okay? But now I, I want a full-scale investigation into who did that. That's that's important. It's a behavior. workplace. No, that's what I mean. It's a workplace violation. So either it's the guys that are filling in. Here's the only suspects it could be: the guys that are filling in right now on the morning show. And as if they would have the audacity to fill in <laughs> and stick gum in a studio that they barely get to be in. B, it's gunning. Don't really see him chewing a lot of gum. Yeah. Or that is a remnant of the past and it's Justin Cuthbert. Ah. One of, it's only those three options. I don't want to hear anything else about anybody else. It's one of those three. And we will we will find that out today. Anyways, I will be contacting Ailish during the break, asking her how often she saw Cuthbert chewing gum in the morning. That's obviously like because you can't because she's not a snitch. She mm. would never just be like, oh, he would have done that, or I could see him doing that. She would cover for her boy. Sure. The two, uh, it, it's like, does it look fresh? See, that's the thing. I'm not really Pogo with stick. Okay, one, <laughs> Pogo with stick. Pogo with a pen. Uh, it's pretty hard. Yeah. It's pretty hard. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> Good help it. Uh, I don't know. Gumgate. This feels like, I got to say that if it was, if we were doing the, you know, the betting odds, we did the big sure. board, I would have Brent Gunning minus 250, mm. Justin Cuthbert plus 185. Interesting. And then the field. Like plus three Jobo, maybe I hate no. to bring if it's it up. long. If it's yeah, no. if it's long term, no. Joe, Joe is too scared. <laughs> yeah, Joe true. is a, a coward. Like he would never. 
He would never do something that could result in a repercussion like that. Like, because if he ever got caught, he knows he'd be dead. He'd never, you know, his career would be over. So, no, I don't think it was him. I think it's those two guys. I'm going to sprinkle a couple units on, on Cuthbert, I think. <sighs> yeah, Cuthbert, sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's value there. I, I think there's good value there, too. <laughs> I think there's good value there, too. I'm just saying. I, uh, here's the other possibility. That it's someone that I've brought in here mm. to co-host or to sit in and do an in-studio hit. But I would notice that. I would see. Because if someone came in with gum, I would immediately be like, where, where are you going to put that gum? You know? Anyway, this is derailed the show. We got to get off the, <laughs> we got to get off gum gate, but yeah, that's disgusting. That's horrible, horrible, horrible behavior. The Raptors played one of their most entertaining games of the entire season last year. And I know that we always do the hyperbole of the best and the worst. And I talk about it all the time. We, we can't frame anything any other way, but that really was a fun game was fun. in a season that let's be honest here. This Raptors season has been difficult. Okay. <laughs> If, if it, I've had this thought many, many, many times, oof, the guys, the poor guys on the Raptor show, <laughs> what are they going to, how are they going to fill the blocks this week? So yeah, if you're, if your franchise is in that kind of state, you're probably not overly thrilled. So yeah, a, a season that has been just no, not a lot of fun. Not a lot of fun. There's been moments. There's been flashes. There's been glimpses. When quickly first came to town, mm-hmm. that was a nice little stretch. There's obviously there's been some great Barnes games, but that was the the best example of oh you could kind of see a little bit of the future. You could see a little bit of the vision. All of a sudden, Grady Dick has put it together, and it's yeah. not just the three point shooting. Like he's nailing it from the corners. He looks confident. The, the jumper doesn't look completely shattered. When we had Sam Decker tweeting, Raptors did the same thing to me. They changed my jump <laughs> shot. And we all went, oh, my God. The Kansas kid can't shoot. <laughs> the guy who was brought in here to provide spacing for the Raptors can't shoot. That was Those were troubling times. He's going to go down to the G League in his first, like, two G League games. He was, a, I think it was something combined, like, two of 14. I went, oh, please not this. But, yeah, he's, he's moving well without the basketball, right? He's, he's finding open spots. Uh, he's been a, pretty aggressive attacking the paint, and he's been pretty good finishing. Like, he's long, and he's gangly, and gets up there, and can, he can finish. can finish around the hoop. Barnes was a force last night. He's just everywhere. That's the thing about him, right? It's just, it's not, not necessarily one thing he's great at, but so many things that he's good at. Outside of, I would say, bullying his way to the paint. And, you know, I'm going to talk to my next guest about that, about, like, the evolution of Barnes. Can't wait. Um, and then, yeah, quickly, just the pace that he set last night. It was crazy to watch the Pacers of all teams look uncomfortable with another team that was trying to break out that way. Mm. And the way quickly did. And so, yeah, all of a sudden you've got a bunch of guys who feel involved. The ball movement's been there all year, but the unselfishness that they displayed last night just felt a little bit different. The Igbaji... Kelly Olynyk chemistry transplant is kind of fun. Nice little kicker. R.J. Barrett was aggressive like he normally is, but efficient, which is what you like to see. Anyway, you could kind of get, uh, I don't want to take too much out of one game, but that is really this little stretch here, this three games in a row that they put together. This is the first time where you can kind of squint and see uh, the vision a little bit more. Anyways, my next guest, one of my favorite Twitter followers by our t- follows by far, uh, Steve Jones, former Div one player, former NBA assistant and video coach, uh, a guy who, there's a reason why you're on JJ Reddick's pod all the time. When he did his rant about we need to make uh, fans smarter, I thought immediately of you. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. 
Yeah. Sorry, I had to put I had to put my pizza down. Yeah, uh, I want to make sure I was ready to party. Yeah, I know. This uh, is this is the bad thing about me. I rant a lot, and so all of a sudden the guests will be like, "This guy's gonna go forever. I can probably just chill." And then all of a sudden I'm throwing you and you're on the spot with a mouthful of pizza. It's tough. <laughs> no, happy. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I appreciate the kind words. Uh, optimism in Toronto, eh? Well, okay. Uh, I I should say that it's a little measured optimism, right? Like, there's, this has been a real slog of a season. Um, friend of the show, Seerit Zoe, was looking at her team rankings yesterday, and she had a C-, and I went, that actually feels generous to me. But so, like, that was the feeling I had when I read her article yesterday on a grade versus how I'm feeling about this team today. But, yeah, um, I, I don't know. I guess we'll just kind of start with that is the Raps, to me, clearly have these, like, three core young pieces in Grady Dick, now, quickly, and Scotty Barnes. And, and I wonder what you just think about sort of what they have as a whole. Because to me, after the trade deadline, I kind of looked at it and went, this is a real strange mismatch of players. I can understand the feeling there. I think with Toronto, if you're trying to pivot from one era and trying to retool to another, and you look at the balance of this roster, this may be something that is going to give you the concept for the next phase of Mm -hmm. Toronto Raptors basketball as far as having versatility around Scotty Barnes. Um, being able to have size and length and guys who can shoot and make plays, being able to play more through Yaka Pirtle. You kind of saw the vision when Coach Darko came in as far as what they wanted to run, as far as retooling the offense, getting more movement in there. The issue was, okay, this is my feeling was this is this some really good offense. You're running some good sets. What happens? Why is it taking 10 seconds? And so you move on from Pascal. You move on from OG. You now have more guys you can mold into what you're looking for. I think the movement has picked up. The assists have been fantastic, but in, in, in totality, it's just about RJ Barrett making quicker decisions, IQ being the uh, type of guard that you're looking for in pick and roll as far as being able to put pressure on defenses and just being able to cons- consistently throw lineups out there that have that kind of mentality to where we can move the ball from side to side. And it doesn't just have to be Scotty Barnes make a play. Mm-hmm. You can now use the versatility of Scotty Barnes to where, okay, we can get him in the post. We can get him off handoffs. He can initiate sets with the bench lineup, but also we can get it from side to side. He can get it back. I think that's kind of the plus to where even if all these guys don't stick around, you now have a concept of what we're looking for in this next phase. Yeah, see, you know, I think you kind of nailed it there with the the ball movement because they, they've had a good assist percentage all season long. They've done a really good job of – upping that um, under Darko. But last night, it just, it you're, you're watching it. And over the last couple of games, I would even say, it, it has felt a little bit different since they brought in Kelly Olenek. They've just got a bunch of guys who really do seem unselfish. There's not a lot of ball stopping. And I, I like, this isn't a critique. I think Siakam is a is a probably an underrated playmaker or was an underrated playmaker here. But OG was absolutely, like, definitively a ball stopper. Um, good off the ball, but on it, yeah, it, it would die there's not a lot of guys where it's just a it's a black hole where it goes into with the Raptors and you're like oh yeah that's that's not coming out that's not going to move. No, I think that's a big plus. You mentioned Kelly Olynyk. I think the one of the things I like about that addition, you know, regardless of how long he stays a Raptor, the fact that you can have the offense run through Pirtle to a degree, you know, where you're running handoffs through him, he's flashing at the elbow, things break down, he can keep things moving. Now you bring Olynyk in. Obviously, he can initiate, he can space, he can make a lot of those passes. So you kind of have that continuity offensively. And, and now you're being able to bring in Ochai Agbaji, you're being able to bring in Grady Dick in a context that makes a little bit more sense, especially for Grady Dick. You know, for me, the thing with Grady was more, okay, when is he going to play and who is he going to play with? 
And is he just going to be spot-up shooter? As opposed to now where, hey, we're moving the ball. You're able to see him just make heady plays, screen, cut, make reads. Ochai Baji's cutting has been fantastic. So that context is going to help those young guys. They have a clear path to play. And I, I just think that's been the positive for Toronto. When they play the right way offensively, you can start to see what they've been trying to get to all year. Mm-hmm. So how much of this do you attribute to Darko? Because he, he was kind of, uh, I'll say just from this base, it was, a, mm-hmm. it was a slow warming up process from the fan base. I can understand that. Uh, I think uh, there's a there's a vision of Toronto, and I think it's it's a tough it was a tough timing deal in the sense that I think Toronto needed more movement in the half court offensively. I feel like people felt that, but at the same time, that core, how much further could it go? What more were you going to get out of OG in that sequence? Now you're taking Pascal, who has had a certain success a certain way, not that he can't play off ball, and I thought he actually did a pretty good job of fitting in off ball. But now you're asking him to adjust to what you're trying to do, and, and, and it's, it's tricky. When you have um, the concepts down and you have the personnel that can match it a little bit better, you start to see how it can be more impactful. I think that's been the best thing as far as I, I want to make sure we play a certain way. I want to make sure that we're moving the ball and playing together. And now the personnel is starting to match that vision more. And I think that's the big plus. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's tough for coaches when you have a vision and an idea and you're trying to instill that on a team as opposed to getting to know a team and understanding what the highs and lows are. So do you think that the personnel is now in a place where you feel, it seems like you feel better about how they'll develop these guys surrounded by a bunch of the dudes that they've injected in here. My worry was always like, okay, you got quickly and he's going to come in and try to prove that he's a lead guard and he wants a big contract and, uh, yeah, some of these other guys, maybe there's a mercenary feel, not knowing whether or not they were going to be around with Toronto. But the buy-in does look pretty. Yeah, it looks looks like there really is some so far. Again, it's a very, very, very small sample. I could be, you know, asking you to come on in, in two weeks and be like, "What the hell happened? This is so bad, <laughs> so terrible." But but do you like the makeup of the players right now? around those three young guys because i think that everybody understands the the main thing right now is not necessarily winning the games it's ensuring that you're getting the most of the development of those three that you're finding out more about those three young guys uh, i think yes be and and what i would say is when you look at emmanuel quickly you look at even rj barrett you may have question marks those are understandable but mm-hmm. at the same time those are two guys that have something to prove you know, for Manuel quickly, uh, he not only wants to show, hey, I deserve this, but also I can do a lot more things than just that. With R.J. Barrett, uh, this, I can't think of a better place for him to have success than in Toronto mm-hmm. to where now he can showcase, you know, I, I can play at a certain level. The thing that helps is they're not all overtasked. You know, it's not like one person has to do it all. And if you get that buy-in, it works. I like the fact that they, they at least have a template, you know, and being able to clear the pathway to make sure that Agbaji and Grady both play, uh, to be able to have Scotty Barnes be enhanced to a degree, to where, hey, we're, we're, we're handing you the keys to a degree, but it's not like you have to create everything. You have to run every pick and roll. you got to score all these points. It's kind of more of a holistic deal to where we're going to upgrade and enhance all of your abilities, but we're going to do it in the right context so that you know you don't feel like you have to make every single play um, or force the issue. I think that's probably the most important thing. Yeah, uh, it's it's pretty clear that Scotty's playmaking is already at a really high level, especially given his age. 
Uh, he's taken a step this year with the the set three point shot, uh, the above the break set one. It hasn't been as good lately. At least it did start the season really well. He can bully his way to the basket, and when he does that, it's it's kind of efficient in two ways. Which is like I always say, he gets two feet in the paint, and you feel like he's going to score, or he'll make uh, the right read, and he'll find somebody in a, in a for a pass. But what do you want to see from him? And like this has been the million dollar question for I, I think a lot of people. But what do you want to see the next uh, development for him be? Um, because when it comes to his scoring package, it is still pretty limited and yet he still can be pretty effective just with like that bully ball. I'm going to get to the paint. Uh, yeah. Like that, that alone in the scoring package. I would say just continue to develop the quick decision. I think that's when Scotty Barnes does his best. Um, even if the pick and roll and he sees a read and he rejects it, he can see those cutters when he's making those quick decisions and flying off screens. Usually good things happen. Mm-hmm. I think for me, it's, the beauty of it is that they can use his versatility as an advantage to where now, hey, we can we can fly you off screens and post you up. We can get you the ball in different areas. So now it's not necessarily he has to do exactly one thing. You want to see the shooting improve to a point where defenses shift a little bit of how they cover him in different areas of the floor. Uh, for me, it's probably defense, probably the most boring answer. But I think if Scotty Barnes can upgrade to being able to defend a couple more positions, some of those quicker, shiftier guards, that helps Toronto overall. But I think offensively, it's less about, hey, how many buckets can he go get? Or, hey, can he be a play creator for me? Because I, I, I think the idea for Toronto should be, hey, we have a guy who can do a lot of different things. We know where he can, we can use him at. We can use him in different lineups in different ways. Let's build something that enhances all of that. And so we don't necessarily have to have, hey, Scotty Barnes, you need to be able to hit this pull-up and pick and roll. Or Scotty Barnes, we have to be able to run everything through you at the elbow. I think that probably should be a holistic thing so he can continue to grow without feeling like, okay, I have to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where do you want to see him grow defensively? Because, yeah, you, you see the when he's engaged, he looks great. Is that just it? Is it like consistent effort? Or is there there's something else that's a little bit more refined? Uh, the way he navigates screens, I like to see him use his size a little bit more. Like in particular, my mind always goes to some of the times he's matched up against Donovan Mitchell. And in theory, you would like that to put that kind of size and length on Mitchell. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, he's kind of giving up a gap to let these guards kind of attack. And now they can dictate terms. Now he's trying to fight the screen or chase. If he can clean some of that up, I think that just overall helps Toronto defensively which is funny because I really like this trade for Toronto. But eventually, after like two or three games, I was like, okay. So is the bit that all this offense is going to be cleaned up, but the defense is going to stay the exact same? Yeah. And then it kind of stayed there for a while, and I was like, oh, no. This is, this is not ideal. But I think especially in that Pacers game, you saw them compete a little bit more. But for me with Scotty, it's just, hey, can you take on some more of these matchups? Can you show that we can, we can add more switching and trust you in these scenarios without necessarily making, you know, It'd be an issue because you don't want to be where, hey, he's just a great off-ball defender. If he could do both, then you really have something to build with. Mm. Yeah, I got to say, though, these last two Pacers games, it's felt like there's been an added attention to detail on the Raptors' end. Um, I don't know if it's just the playing Siakam thing and they want to go out there and show something more. But, yeah, it it has been notable that those those have been two of their better, I think, defensive performances in a, a very long time. Uh, so I, I think there's probably at least a little bit of an element of that. And, and I, I really, I'm going to be looking for that moving forward again. Uh, like I said, stuff that you can note, stuff that you can feel smarter about. Uh, Twitter handle is at Steve Jones 20. Um, I, I want to ask you real quickly too, because there's been, 
when the Raptors made this trade, uh, our uh, Blake Murphy he pointed out that they were looking for a guy that could be um, a, a big leap player, right? Something along the lines, not maybe to the ceiling of, but I guess nobody really saw Shea Gilgis-Alexander becoming quite what he is when he was first traded from the Clippers. But, but a trade like that, where you're buying low on a player who has a much higher ceiling if they're given a bigger role. And yeah, I think so far the results have been kind of mixed with quickly at times. I feel like I've gone back and forth going, Ooh, this does look like a really good change of pace guard, not a primary point guard. Then he has a game like last night and you can kind of see it where he might end up getting 20 to $25 million this off season though. That's kind of where the reports have landed. What do you make of his ceiling overall? Uh, I, I think I think he's got a pretty high ceiling. I think this is a good opportunity for him to get these kind of reps as a creator to a degree to where you have to make more of these reads and pick and roll. It's something that I liked um, that he had grown into in New York, but obviously it's a little bit of a different context with the ball movement. Um, it's not necessarily going to be the same look for him every time, the same screen every time. Um, so now it's now just, okay, can we now enhance what he does all the way? And when he does get a pick and roll, which reads he's going to make? Is he going to try and engage the defense, get a pocket pass? Um, is he going to be able to fly off screens? I, I guess for me, it's more the usage. Mm-hmm. How much can you unlock of what Emmanuel quickly can bring to the table? But I think with that scoring ability, I think he's shown a lot more flashes, especially on the weak side uh, with help defense, as far as being able to fit into a team context that way. Uh, and he's an electric scorer. He can push the pace and score in transition. So I think there's a lot to you can work with. It's just about, okay, now he's got to learn to do it at a different level with teams treating him a little bit differently. Mm. And that, you know, it takes a little bit of time to adjust to. Yeah, I, I just, I love when he's on because it really does feel like the energy is infectious throughout the team. Like, it's, it's very clear why all the Knicks fans in my life were texting me that you're going to love quickly uh, the second that this trade ended up happening. No, it makes sense. He's, he's, he's got a little electricity. I would probably, I don't, I, I never love making comparisons, but, you know, there's a similarity to the growth in, in what Tyrese Maxey was able to do. It may not be apples to apples, but in, in the sense that you get more opportunity to do things, you see different things, and now you come back stronger. So that would probably be the expectation, you know, if you're a Raptor fan real quickly. Yeah. I mean, people will like that comparison, so it's a good one. You know, it's, it's, never, it's never good when you make a comparison and it goes way under, right? Like, when, yeah, I'll always love that when you're reading uh, mock drafts or you're, you're getting the, the post-draft grades and you go and you look at it, and that was the thing with Grady Dick where they're like, could be Kyle Korver. I'm like, that's nice, but I don't think anybody's ever like, man, if we could get a Kyle Korver in the lottery someday, that would be everything to us. <laughs> that, would, that, would just, that would just move the needle in this market in a way that we haven't seen before. Uh, okay, so with this group, though, too, and talking about the development, you know, they, they are thrown together after a deadline. And, yeah, of course, we've seen teams sell before. We've seen teams, uh, this, this, this happens. This is part of the league. But uh, when you're seeing a group that's thrown together on the fly like this with a rookie head coach and a bunch of players in elevated roles, but ones that I think you mentioned are maybe a little bit more properly slotted, but it's still grouped by committee, is there anything specific like you look for um, or is there just a lot that you throw away knowing that you're not getting the greatest sample? You're not getting a team that's coming in fresh from a camp that really has been able to establish just exactly what they want from everybody going into a season. Uh, I think you are managing where going, what they're doing with where you want them to get to. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing for me is, is just the rotation. That's probably the toughest part to try and figure out on the fly 
as far as which direction you want to go, how many minutes, what units play together, how do you enhance those guys. So I think part of why what I liked about Toronto is them kind of just cleaning it up to a degree, mm-hmm. being like, hey, these are our top nine guys. That probably helps those players know, hey, I'm getting these minutes, I'm playing with these people, we can get more comfortable with what we're running. Um, as coaching staff, you know, okay, this is what we have, this is what we're going towards, and now you can kind of track it that way. So what's the progress of this unit? What's the progress of this guy? How's this guy improving? Maybe we can play these guys together uh, as guys get more comfortable. So it's, so it's more so we're building towards something um, and, and tracking the execution and progress of that and making sure it's not the same flaws that are being shown every time. But the, the main thing for me is just rotations, like just figuring out what guys can do, who can play with. And once that gets clean, I think you can really push forward. You know, that uh, it, it's not great that the first thing I thought of when you said that was maybe they really did miscalculate not moving Bruce Brown at the deadline because he's felt a little lost since then. It, it did feel like he was going to get shuttled off somewhere. He ends up staying smart player, good player, someone that's supposed to kind of fit with every team. But it's been a little clunky recently for the Raps. And I wonder how they manage that moving forward. Uh, I think it's a tough spot because he can help them in so many mm-hmm. different ways because of the talent that they've added. How many minutes are truly going to be there? Mm-hmm. Um, and who is he going to play with? Now, he's got the versatility to where he can play and help a small lineup. He can do guard things. He can space the floor. But uh, who is that most impactful with? Mm-hmm. I think that, to a degree, is where you can see some nights it might be 16, 18 minutes. Some nights it might be 32, depending on foul trouble or who's out. So it's, it's it's kind of a tough spot where he's got to stay ready, be ready. But is he fitting in or is he elevating what you do? And that's kind of to your point of where you're on the fly trying to figure out, you know, I think Bruce Brown is a person who elevates your team mm-hmm. because of what he brings to the table. If you're trying to figure out who you are, he can kind of also be in that mix. It's not like an insult. It's just kind of how it goes. Mm-hmm. So I did want to also ask you about the Pacers. Um, yeah, who the Raps played last night. Because, uh, okay, I, I, granted, I didn't watch them very much. I watched a little bit of the Mavs game, but not a ton over their winning streak before and heading into this game. And, and I feel like maybe I'm a jinx to them because whenever I watch a Pacers game, I'm always, like, really underwhelmed. And then I'll look at a box score and be like, oh, they were really, really well tonight. You know, like, this looks good. <laughs> so if I was a Pacers fan, I wouldn't want me watching these games. But, it, like, what do you what do you think of that team? Because... Yeah, Mathurin was amazing last night. You go, okay, well, if you're that, that changes things. But overall, it just, yeah, it, it, it kind of feels like it's really hard for them to get all their top guys going at the same time. Um, the defense, I, I don't know about. Like, do you think that that group, that core, is going to be able to turn itself into a title contender? Well, I, I think they're still in the early phases of that. I don't, I don't know if, if anyone expected Indiana to necessarily be uh, in this position, and then also be in a position to add Pascal Siakam. Mm-hmm. And so I think they're trying to figure out some of how do we blend Pascal into what we do? Uh, how do we enhance and get the most out of Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam in actions together? I think uh, the loss of Buddy Heald had an impact on them as mm-hmm. far as their movement goes. Uh, but they have a, they're a very fun team. They have a very unique style of play. You know, even as many points are scored, it always felt like Indiana was just right there. Um, even though I think it was a 110, 102, I was like, you know, yeah. is, is Indiana concerned or do they think they're a minute away from being right back in this thing? Yeah. I think their defense should look better in a playoff context, with the game plan, but they put so much pressure on you offensively when they're humming with their movement, with their tempo, with their cutting. 
I thought Toronto did a really good job of being able to get them a little bit more stagnant. And that's probably where the question marks come in besides defense and say, hey, in the half court in some of these moments, what do you look like? What are you going to? But that, in theory, is what Pascal's was to help with. So I think it's it's a group that has a style of play. They're looking to elevate. They're still trying to figure out what they need to add to it and what ways they can you know improve. But I, I think there's a lot of potential. I think they're ahead of schedule. Mm, yeah, no, I, I think they're that. I just always worry when a team is ahead of schedule and then they make that big move where they decide to push a lot of chips in the middle like they did with Siakam. And yeah, like if you're a Raptors fan watching that game, you got to know that, yeah, Halliburton's not going to have too many nights where he starts. So I think it was one of eight. And I think he finished with only one three and missed some freezer. Just a, a pretty dreadful night for him. Pretty passive performance from him. Um, I just, I guess they're not all in because they do have a lot of depth and so many young pieces that they really could transform the roster if they ever really wanted to. I just, every time I look at them, I'm like, ah, it, it, it just it does feel like something is incomplete and maybe it is just to maybe it is a lot of just what you're speaking of right now, which is they need to unlock more of what it's going to look like in the half court between Siakam and Halliburton. No, it's a, it's a year of discovery. Them, Orlando, it's a year of understanding. Okay. We can, we can do this. We can be at a certain level, obviously with Indiana, a little bit more citation since they got Pascal, but it's a year of knowing how good your good is and now being able to build on that, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's probably what I would say. Hey, Steve, uh, again, uh, the, for those that are listening, the, the Twitter follower is Steve Jones 20. Um, and again, I, I promise you won't end up regretting it. I know that everybody here that's already a big basketball fan on our show already does give you a follow. Uh, but yeah, if you want to not get yelled at by JJ Redick, uh, and say, be a smarter <laughs> basketball fan, this is one way to do it. This is one way to do it. Thanks for making time today, man. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm getting back to the pizza. Y'all have a good one. <laughs> you too, dude. See ya. Uh, Steve Jones, former Div 1 player, NBA assistant, and video coach. Guy who breaks down just a ton, a ton, a ton of film. A real tape junkie. Uh, I love going through stuff like that. And I like hearing answers like that. Because now, uh, honestly, one of my biggest takeaways from this interview is going to be watching Barnes on defense. Because he is, he is really spectacular when he's flying in and blocking uh, the ever-loving you-know-what out of people. <laughs> like That is always looking great. He's strong, right? He's hard to move. Like yeah. when guys get him down on the block. But I don't think about that too often is the way that, you know, he navigates screens. Mm. And, and now I'm going to be watching that moving forward. But yeah, I, again, yesterday was just encouraging because that's what you want is that to me after the deadline, I, I, I told you on air when it happened because it broke during the show that I liked the Kelly Olenek edition. I didn't know enough about Abaji where I was going to say definitively, just like I'd seen, right. I'd seen some. I wasn't watching a ton of Utah games, not, you know, staying up late to watch Utah play basketball. They're like, uh, oh, I catch a few minutes here, a few minutes there. You're looking at different stats and saying, okay, he's a good corner three shooter, get it. But for the most part, wasn't familiar with too much. Wasn't also overly encouraged with much because, yeah, there were some stats that Blake pointed out, how it's like he never dribbles. Mm. I went, hmm. Like he just dribbles as like the least of anybody in the NBA other than I think a Sadiq Bay was his answer. Uh, but you can see it. Like you can see how those pieces work. A guy that doesn't need the ball a lot, guy that is willing to cut guy that's willing to knock down a quarter three guy. That's trying to play much better on ball defense. Like kind of looks like Masai went out and tried to get bargain bin. OG. Yeah. That's what that feels like at times. I really love the way that Kelly Olenek, it's just, he's so crafty, man. That's that's one good thing about having him out there is the defense, you're going to have moments where you're like, holy crap, right? They've got moments where they'll have Grady Dick on the floor with Kelly Olenek and 
quickly and you're like, I don't know if they'll ever get stopped. <laughs> this is just trade buckets. Let's get easy, easy baskets here. They've got to cover up a lot. But offensively right now, if you're looking for those guys to grow and you're looking for them to feel a little bit more confident, yeah, this, this might actually be a better mix of players than I originally thought. And the one guy who I assumed was going to be a great piece moving forward that I, I was not upset that they didn't move Bruce Brown has been, as we mentioned with Steve, it's been just a bit of an uncomfortable fit. Feels like they can't really get him involved. And again, it's not a ton of games. I get it. But out of all the team's body language right now, out of all the guys that look happy in their role and touching the rock and feeling like they're involved in it, Brown seems not as much. I'm happy you brought him up because like he's he's an he's an interesting piece on like this current team. You would think it'd be perfect. Yeah, and I guess like part of it is they're they're gonna want to give all these young guys more burn, mm-hmm. and so like in that way for sure, Bruce Brown probably would have been more valuable on a team that like doesn't have development at the forefront. You know what I mean? But, he but is- it's weird because he signed with the Pacers and he obviously didn't think like, hey. We're going to win the championship yeah, this year. Yeah, I guess like maybe internally the Pacers knew that they were at least going to like push for a playoff spot. It is weird. The Olenek thing's fun because he's just like he's a connector out there. Mm-hmm. Like he does all like he sets those screens. Mm-hmm. He he whips the ball around like he's just like a Olenek's just draws, a fun. Draws fouls. Yeah. Cool little pump fake game. Yeah. Like nice little scoring package in the paint. It's just he's he's fun. He's really fun. Also, I got to tell you that <laughs> this is part of my reason why. I just can't get down with the Pacers. I can't stand the way Miles Turner plays basketball. Like, I know that people love him, and I think that he's actually, I don't know if he's a Blake favorite or a Raptors show favorite, and there were moments where it was, hey, should the Raptors do an OG for Miles Turner trade was a real sexy thing. And I know he's a seven-footer that can block a shot and hit a three, Mm -hmm. but he's like the epitome of what I don't want on a team at a seven-footer where... He's not a dog. Yeah, he's not a dog. You saw just Pirtle feasting on him last night, right? Where he doesn't want to box out. He wants to get out and transition, fill a lane, and knock down a three. And he wants to score. And when they pass him the ball, he's like, I'm, I'm taking this shot. I'm taking this look. You know, he's just right away. Let it rip. Let it fly player. And yeah, they, they, they've said, hey, he's the perfect guy to play with Siakam. And Siakam has mentioned that he wanted to play with Turner. And that was part of the reason that he went to Indiana. I just, I, I get it. They're, they're ahead of schedule. So we shouldn't be looking at them necessarily through the lens of, oh, they're all in just because they traded some picks, right? You saw what Matherin did yesterday. If they ever wanted to just, and they didn't have Neesmith. If they ever decided, hey, we'd like to move Benedict Matherin, they would get a haul. They would do very well. There's a, you could see pretty clearly why they said we're not including him in a Siakam trade, right? It's pretty easy for everybody. Else. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, it would have, a pretty big deal if the Raptors were able to turn an expiring Pascal Siakam contract into that guy who can get hot like that. Yeah, that was like a bit of a Team Canada trial Benedict Matherin had yesterday. <laughs> oh, I don't think there's a trial for him if he wants on it. He's in it. <laughs> He's in it. He's on the team. It's crazy, though. I did. I already uh, finished my chat with Dwight Powell for tomorrow. And yeah, there's going to be... It would be, I would love to see what the Canada roster would be if they had all the guys show up and everyone wanted a spot and what it would end up looking like. Uh, anyway, um, back on the Pacers thing. I know they're ahead of schedule. I know they actually still have more flexibility just because they traded a bunch of first round picks. It doesn't really mean too much to them. They could re- recoup a bunch of those assets pretty easily. 
Um, they could shift their roster pretty quickly with moving some of their young depth. They didn't really touch anybody on the roster in that Raptors trade, right? They gave up Bruce Brown, but you just saw that the price of Bruce Brown wasn't even a first-round pick potentially in a crappy draft. Maybe it was, but I don't know. It feels like if that was the case, the, the Raptors didn't even like the price and wasn't worth too much. So, yeah, they can still do stuff. There's still a lot of time. I don't want to judge them too early, but... They're at the bottom rung of the mid-tier of the East. Like, the Knicks are better, the Heat are better, the Cavs are better. They're all better, but I think that when we're talking about who I think could end up... Yeah, there, I, I don't... Yeah, they feel... that's. I would say that. They feel like a... They feel like the Cavs a bit. Where even when they're having regular season success, I'm like, y'all aren't going to win. You guys aren't, you know, you need this to happen. And it's this huge leap. Tough game for you, though, who wants to put Tyrese Halliburton as the greatest playmaker who ever lived and the best player. Armin is the craziest Tyrese fan where he's like, he has these outlandish takes with Halliburton constantly. Like literally told me he thinks he's the second best playmaker in the NBA behind Jokic. Actually, you had him even ahead of Jokic? Adam Passer. No, I'll give you LeBron, yeah, like, Jokic. Yeah, okay. Oh, you'll give me. Okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> and anyway, maybe yeah. like a Luka and Trey. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, anyway. But you said top five. He's a top five guy. Not, just like his creativity is just great to watch. That's, I, I love that. Part he checked of it. out of that game yesterday. He was like, that was I, weird. That was a weird yeah, performance. He's like, I can't, he's like, I can't hit a shot. I'm not going to play. I hated it because I... I had a parlay. I was like, him and quickly over the pace. Quickly did his part. You know, actually, the worst part of that, it was supposed to be a uh, quickly Siakam parlay. And then I thought about, I forgot to do this because I had to rush to get to the Dwight Powell tape. And I didn't make the content. And then I sat on it all day. And I was like, ah, you know, Siakam, Barnes is going to focus on him. Halliburton probably gets a little bit of an easier matchup against quick. I overthought it. And then I blew the bet. It's the worst. There's nothing... There's nothing worse than that. When you have too much time and you overthink, football is the hardest one with that. Because the second your week is over, you start looking at the lines. Oh, yeah. And you go, this is how I feel. Bing, bing, bing. And then the week goes on and you read some articles yeah. and you hear some pods and you get the other people's opinions starting to infiltrate. You're like, that's yeah. a good point. Like, oh, wait, the left guard that's is a, questionable? That's a good point. Yeah, exact, exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're watching Sunday. God, I miss Sunday football. Oh, I miss the feeling so much of losing money. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it so much. I was sitting there watching uh, the mediocre Seahawks teams that frustrate me to death and losing money. But no, you get you get all that time, you get all that space away from it, and all of a sudden, yeah, you you overthink an idea, and that was me yesterday. It's painful. You guys not tempted to fade the wraps every time they're up, like at half? No, actually, I was the opposite yesterday. Yeah, I, has, live, yeah. I live bet the Raps going into the fourth quarter because Matherin got hot and it pushed the Raps to plus 115 going into the final frame. I think still up one. And I just liked the way that the Raptors were playing and I, I didn't like the Halliburton thing. I knew he could get hot. But if you looked at... One of the ways that I always like in live betting with basketball, it's like who's getting easier buckets? Like whose offense just looks like it's coming easier to them? It's not what the score of the game is. It's just the fluidity of it. And it's the Pacers got back in that game because Matherin was just hitting step back threes and fadeaways at the end of the shot clock. He was incredible. The the shot making was wild, but it didn't really feel sustainable. And then he has that one heat check and you go, okay, that's over now. 
do something else. And Siakam was engaged and Siakam was getting to his offense well, but I just didn't like the rest of the, yeah, I, I didn't really love the rest of the Pacers stuff. And I didn't feel like Indiana could get stops either. The Raptors yeah. were dialed in. And so I went, this is a decent number. I actually went the other way. I bet the Raptors, even though it's crazy because the Raptors, if, you, if again, if you want to look at really encouraging things about last night, if you're going to try to extrapolate and hell, this is what it is. It's like, it's a reactionary show. It's the yesterday's game, but the Raptors um, in fourth quarters this year have been awful. Like, been a really, really bad team. Like, Sir Zoe, again, she wrote her article. It's up on the ringer right now. She pointed out that, here it is. Uh, in February, uh, bottom three defense, but the starters have been outscored by opponents by 13 and a half points since Pirtle's return. Getting destroyed to the tune of 27.8 points per 100 possessions in the fourth quarter. It's not very good. Getting cooked. And that has been the thing, right? And that, that's what happened with the last Pacers game. They're, they have not been very good at closing. And it makes sense because you're a young team and there's guys looking to different roles. And we've yeah. seen it with Barnes too. Like we saw it in the Oklahoma City game where he's just not ready to be a closing yeah, scorer. Yeah, super passive you're, sometimes. Yeah, you're, and, not, yeah. you're not giving Scotty Barnes and being like, create us a bucket and knock one down. He, he's just, he's not that guy yet. Understandable. The committee approach that they had yesterday is where you go, oh, that could work. You know, everybody gets a touch. All of a sudden, if Grady Dick is knocking down his open shots, all of a sudden, if Kelly Olynyk can draw a couple fouls with the, the crafty post moves that he has, if all of a sudden Barnes can get to his spots, force two on the ball, make either a good pass or end up getting a mismatch that he can attack, that's the other thing with him too. Is I'm surprised Jones didn't bring it up. Is That's the one thing with Barnes that I want to see too is better assessment of when he's got a really good matchup and taking advantage of it. Um, either way, that was, that was really encouraging. That was really fun. I, all of a sudden Leafs and raps are fun. That's nice. Yeah, that is nice. It's nice for my life. We deserve this. That's nice for my life. Man, Grady though, like he has a nose for the ball. Sorry to bring him up again, but like, I was so surprised he takes charges. He's, Mm -hmm. I don't know. He gets to charges thing was always what he does though. And that says it's a calling card of a lot of guys who don't play defense very well. It's just (laughs) be able to take the bump, be able to take the contact. Uh, like, like Kelly, like those two are really good charge takers so that's nice yeah. to have you got to <laughs> not much, hope you yeah, have. we don't have much shop left so <laughs> yeah outside uh, of scotty no Bar- uh he's looked great he really has he has looked really good yeah. it's it's yeah, i know that there's always going to be the people on twitter that are like oh did you guys give up on grady dick that lame stuff it's the worst it's like yeah his jump shot was completely broken he's brought in here to shoot jump shots people had their doubts duh it's how it works it's how analyzing sports works yeah it's not giving up it's yeah. he was really yeah. bad yeah i know it's the <laughs> lamest position that you can take out of everything on twitter i like did you guys apologize yeah. stuff like that is <laughs> i the remember worst. what you guys were saying yeah no it's the, just uh, the dumbest thing dumbest thing dumbest thing anyway um what i do what i do like though is he just he when they drafted him he the reason why i liked him out of kansas wasn't just the jump shot it was that he could do all the other stuff offensively. Like I, I was like, no, no, no. I don't. I don't think that this guy is Kyle Korver because I think that he can get to the basket. Like he he is able to do a little bit more offensively than what you were hoping for from a Kyle Korver. I don't think that this dude's just going to stand in the corner and hopefully or, and cut and try to find open spacing around a LeBron. And you've seen that. And man, confidence. That was the other part. He's a confident kid to the point where he's making these cringeworthy TikToks where I went, God, 
Uh, please don't. He, you know, he wore that red jacket See? the draft day, right? Like he has that part of him. It's pretty clear. He is a highly confident kid. And I would be too if I had that jump shot and was, how tall is he? Six, eight? Six, six. I'm just looking at this thing now. Six, six? Yeah. He's tall, six, six. Yeah, I know. It seems bigger than that. I want to remeasure. <laughs> like I, I, if I, if this was the carnival game where they're weighing people and he came in at six, six, I'd be like, get the ruler immediately. <laughs> he's six, eight. Yeah. He's six, eight. Yeah. Okay. ESPN yeah. says six, six. Yeah. ESPN's wrong. Wow. Jayhawks say six, eight. That's so yeah, weird. The Jayhawks. Yeah. Mm, yeah mm, now I'm torn. I got to tell you, I, I'll be, I'm willing to compromise and settle that he's six, seven. He's not six, six. That's too short. He's, he can't be six, six. Like show me him side by side with RJ Barrett. Yeah, you know what? His NBA uh, draft profile says six eight. So yeah, yeah. ESPN See, is... yeah, ESPN liars. Just <laughs> liars. ESPN lost their fastball. Uh, the confidence is, has clearly returned with the guy. Just the mm-hmm. way that he's playing on defense too. Everywhere on the floor, he just looks like a guy who's fitting in. And I, I know there's been some people. My brother was texting me going, "When do they start him over?" Gary Trent. I went, nah, Gary Trent's not workable off the bench. We've seen this over and over and over again. Like he's a plays better with good guys. And I think Trent's been fine. So I'm not rushing Grady into the starting spot. If he's playing well, you do what you did last game, which is you, you let him extend his minutes and you play him in crunch time and that's it. But yeah, fun stuff. Anyways, two last Grady Dick things. He's yeah. shooting like fifty percent on on just over four three point attempts this like this month over yeah. pretty decent. So the stroke, like, I, and you see it when you watch it. Like, he I, I looks can't confident. remember a miss. I know. Dude, and the mesh uh, isn't even moving on some. Yeah. I know. And then uh, NBA.com lists him at six six. So who knows how tall he is? We'll never know. So weird. We'll never be able to find out. So hold on. His NBA.com draft profile says oh, yeah, six okay. eight, but, but then no. when you go to NBA.com, it's six. Yeah, he's six. a growing boy. Yeah, he is a growing boy. Hey, you know, Giannis. Giannis was he's, six nine when he was drafted. How old is Drake? He's nineteen. Uh, twenty. He's twenty. I mean, if NBA.com can be believed, he's twenty. I think he grew. <laughs> I, I'll. Here's what I would. Here's my guess. There's ain't no way he's six six. He's okay. taller. If he's if he's if he's six six, it's a shocking six six. Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me he's not taller than MJ? Come on. Come on. I don't, look, I don't know what to tell you. Got to be. Got to be taller. Anyway, uh, quick break. Let's talk about the Leafs goalie situation. Sportsnet 590, the fan. I'm going to do goalies after Brian Boyle, who's coming on in a couple minutes. Love. Love getting to chat with Brian Boyle. Update on Gumgate. Yeah. What do we got? Yeah, from Ailish. I texted her. Listen, one thing about Ailish Forfar, ride or die. For real. That's why I had to trick her. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't ask her, yo, do you think Cuthbert would put gum, gum under, under the, the table? table. Because yeah. she would immediately be like, no. Absolutely not. Ride or die. Guaranteed. If I was doing a list of who would snitch at the station... I, I'm not even kidding. Ailish dead last in terms of like in the power. She's at the very top of the power rankings. Dead last person that would give you up. Mm. That would sell you out. Number one, who would? Annis. No, yeah. ju- immediately. Has before. Uh, like self-preservation is his thing. He would dime you out immediately. Like no hesitation. Done. Over. Quick. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Before they even get the it question out. He's like doing the Jeopardy buzzer before they could finish the question. It was him. Yeah, him. It was him, not me. 
She claims she is. Ne- I, I said, Cuthbert, chew a lot of gum? Question mark. <laughs> just out of the blue, by the way. That's yeah, just out yeah. of the blue type. Thing. Yeah, at 9.30 in the morning <laughs> on a Tuesday. And she said, uh, you know, Lowell what? I said, I just repeated it. <laughs> Do you see him chew a lot of gum? <laughs> and she replied, I have never oh. seen him chew gum, actually. And then I explained what the question was for. But I, that's the, by the way, that's the type of answer you give when there's ever a suspicious question that drops out of the yeah. cloud. Anybody starts asking questions, suspicious questions, you've never seen that I person. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I never seen how. Have you ever, hey, is Armin chew gum? I've never seen Armin, Armin chew gum. Armin gum? I've never. I actually think he's allergic to gum. <laughs> and then it turns out they're like, oh, we were going to give him a sponsorship to a gum company. It's <laughs> $10 million. He was going to be the face of gum. <laughs> and he ruined it. No, but. Seriously, he's Cuthbert's out. Okay. This is now down to gunning slash fill-ins. Yeah. Slash also Simon. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I'm not uh, a gum chewer. Yeah. All I got to say is you found the body. You were the last to be seen with you the body. You went to check. Yeah. Here's, yeah. Here's the oh, thing. Why would I, A, oh. why would I wrap myself out? Why that's, would I even that's, notice? That's like but the B, number one thing that criminals do. Following your... They return to the scene like of the ar- crime. like an arsonist? No, they return to the scene of the crime. <laughs> following... Have you ever seen me chew gum? I know the answer's no. I, I never have I gum. Know. I'm not a gum chewer. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Never. All I'm saying is that you've entered the list of suspects. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. All right. Quick break. Brian Boyle. By the way, Ennis says that he's never seen guns chew gum either. Wow. A lot of, a lot of protecting going on around here. Starting to feel a cons- like a conspiracy. My seat's starting to I know. To I was going to say, Simon. <laughs> Simon in real trouble. <laughs> Actually, speaking of seats, uh, our next guest, Brian Boyle, former Leaf, NHL forward. NHL Network Analyst. What's up, buddy? How we doing? What's happening? How we doing? Good, man. Okay, so the the, the segue here is seats, because I saw you you tweeted a segment about how upset you get uh, at people who stand up at the back of the plane and rush to the front, which, uh, of course, right? Like, those people are villains. Those those are the, the, the scourge of society. There's no question about it. But when has your big ass never flown first class? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, how is this an issue for you? Are you just mad because the the people they push past the curtain? Like, how long has it been? <laughs> Look at my stats, man. I'm a grinder. Yeah, you're you're Get sitting coach. You're six seven. You're sitting coach. I don't believe you. Listen, when when uh, when you have five kids and you're trying to book a flight and your wife wants to come on the trip, yeah. For the little kids' hockey tournament, that she can't come on the trip, and she's dragging her feet a little bit. Not to drag my wife, but oh yeah, it's too late. <laughs> the plane ticket six days in advance, it, the prices go up a little bit. Plus, uh-huh. got to keep the kids humble. So we were in the we were in the nineteenth row. Oh, when um, somebody in twenty five, some moron decides it was. Like, there's no connecting flights. We landed at ten p.m. We're not yeah. in a rush to get it. No, anywhere. that's that's that's. If, there, if that was the case, like fine go ahead like everyone should get out of that person's way like let's be courteous uh-huh. we've all been there we got to connect all that no it's like i'm getting off first and you're the worst person that's ever lived bro. yes I, I i completely agree listen i completely agree the thing is though 
I kind of blame you a little for this. Can I just say why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One is I actually just pictured that, you know, because you sound like you're in the car right now. I pictured, like, your wife beside you as you were doing this, like, dragging her and be like, this thing is about my wife. <laughs> She's just sitting there quietly with her arms folded. But... uh when there's a guy, if I see Brian Boyle on the plane, I'm like, hey, listen, you're the enforcer of the common decency of this, of this vessel, brother. Like, you, you have to be out there and giving people the stare downs and the hand up. And if, if push comes to shove, you got to be the person who says, you know, like, you got to be the person who says, like, you in a rush or something, you know, or like back to the back of the plane because he's... This person's going to listen to you. You know, you're basically the, you're the authority on the plane. Unless there's an undercover agent, it's you. And so kind of falls on you. This, is, this was under your authority. Listen, my goal, my goal in life now has changed a little bit. I really, okay. For a long time, I wanted to win a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Now that I'm on, I'm on TV a little bit, and I go, I, my, my goal is to not go viral for the wrong reasons. True. But Only that would be the great reason. Stuff. No, that would be a great reason. Yeah, if you went viral... I also, I also... Yeah. Yeah, when I go crazy sometimes, I have okay. a little temper. Yeah, okay. And if I let it, if I let the tiger out of the cage, you know, I got yeah. a six-year-old and an eight-year-old that are <laughs> yeah. looking at me. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a I tough I just role. said, like, no, we'll wait. Like, go ahead, we'll wait. Yeah. Oh, and that's yeah. kind of all I said. And they didn't, not even a look back. This person was so in their own world. <sighs> same, it's the same person that goes shopping at the grocery store just leaves the cart wherever in the parking lot like you're the worst dude i think about this all the time how self-involved people are becoming and i don't want to blame everything always on phones uh because i just sound like the oldest person in the universe but like (laughs) i swear to god the common decency and the self-involvement of people now in terms of never empathizing or thinking of others like this it's wild to me like yeah, just little things, uh, just holding a door for somebody in public, you know, letting somebody sit down uh, if you're on a, on a train who's out. Like, it just, it, there's so, yes. it, it's diminishing, man. It, I swear to God, it's diminishing. And it makes me a little scared about the future. But the plane one is awful because if you're on a plane, and especially if you're in coach, like a commoner, like you, <laughs> you got to... Yeah, you peasant. Gotta, I'm a peasant. Yeah, I know, like six, seven, two. Dude, if I saw you sit down next to me on a plane, I would be so mad. I'm already like, okay, damn it, I'm in coach. <laughs> and then here comes a six foot seven, wide as a house guy sitting down. I would just be livid with you. The only thing worse is wearing a ton of perfume or having BO on a plane other than sitting next to a massive human being. But... Man, on a plane, when you're just trying to get through and just get through the day, don't add to my stresses. A person doing that, I'm like, who are you? you you're right. When you said that they're the world's worst person, it's like for you not to even have just like a little bit of decency, right? Awful. Jail. Got to be. I wish that if there was, you would just get off that plane being first and then there would just be the police <laughs> waiting for you outside, take you away, <laughs> put you in jail for the night. God, it would be so good. It would be so satisfying. Uh, okay. So hockey stuff. Um, Leafs are on a seven-game heater. Let's start with this. Uh, do you remember the longest winning streak of your career? No idea. No idea? I don't remember either. I didn't have it prepared. No I actually clue. have another thing from your career prepared. But, yeah, you didn't have a long winning streak where you ever had, where you're like, man, we're really humming right now. This is really going? No, I probably did, but I, have, I just have no idea how Dude. long. I was on some good Tampa teams, yeah. good New York teams. 
You know, I have no idea how many wins. <laughs> okay, not maybe the how many, because I was going to say this is crushing because the the big premise of this is that, hey, maybe the Leafs have turned a corner by doing this and what the what this can do for their confidence moving into the playoffs. And you're like, I don't even remember how long we had. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, you did have a long career, though, so <laughs> let's just say. But, okay, being on a winning streak, though, is there uh, is there maybe a moment from one of them, from some of those good teams that you remember, like, hey, damn it, this is guys start to get superstitious, guys start to get weird in the room about messing with stuff? Yeah, you know, in Tampa, Stammer would do things like that um, a little bit because we had some, like, we had some home winning streaks. We always had chances to, like, break a home record or whatever it was. Um, I remember in Jersey, I actually didn't, I didn't start the year playing because I was sick, but we started the year 9-1, and one and we were, everyone picked us as a lottery team. And there was, like, there was nothing said about it. We just... We just kept playing. There was a lot of guys on that roster that had a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we ended up making the playoffs that year, and a lot of it had to do with that start. Now, I've been – I've been when I got traded to Nashville a couple years after I played in Toronto, I got traded out of Nashville my second year in Jersey. Mm-hmm. They started the year like a house on fire. We ended up winning the Central, but we were like – I remember just – conversations in the room being like, if we didn't have that start, we'd be fighting for the playoffs. We're not playing well enough. So in that sense, it can get to you. When I look at the Leafs, I look at, like, who who have they beat, right? They beat Colorado and they beat Vegas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, you want points and you want to keep winning, and there's these winning streaks, especially this year, I feel like it's been crazy, the, the streaks for and against. Like, teams have dropped eight in a row. And obviously, Edmonton won 16 in a row, but I would look at who did we beat if I'm in that Leafs room. Like, that's the confidence. That's the swagger. That's the what are we doing right now? How do we bottle this up? Because we beat teams that have high expectations like we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those two wins were massive. Uh, they got another one tonight against Vegas. And, yeah, Vegas is beat up. Uh, they're missing a bunch of key guys. But to me, it's like we- we've done a couple things. One is the Leafs have been historically kind of – uh, underwhelming against some lesser opponents at times. It felt like they they lower their play to their competition and that they can elevate it throughout the regular season. Like, they're really a roller coaster ride historically. They haven't had a seven-game winning streak like this in 20 years, so it also carries the added meaning because, you know, that always everything gets tied into the historical stuff with the Leafs. You can't escape it, which probably is a little bit more difficult as a player. But, yeah, the bottling thing is the question for them, right? Because... They had this super emotional event with Morgan Riley cross-checking Riley Gregg in the face. That results in a five-game suspension. And the word around the room was, hey, they're going to use this as a potentially galvanizing moment for the team. Everybody calls them soft, and yet they're this team that continues to accrue suspensions. And all of a sudden, the guy who's up for the Lady Bang is getting slapped with a five-game suspension. They feel like the world is against them. They appeal. They don't get anything from it. The rest is history. But do you buy that? Like... Do you buy that this actually can change the attitude of a team? And if it does, is it something that you can sustain or does it run out? Well, it it has to sort of be reinforced here and there. So the suspension stinks and that, that was not, you know, but that's Morgan Riley just being fed up. And that's a guy who carries a lot of respect in the room that's fed up with how that game went. Okay, it's not just it's not just the slap shot in the empty net, right? That's not the only reason. It was like, what are we doing here? We're better than this. And I think when when people say that galvanizes the group, it's not just the one event. It was like, 
holy smokes, look what Mo just did. Let's get it together here. Let's bring a little more emotion and passion. And mm. I, that's what separates most teams, unless you can't get saves or whatever. Like, the teams that are good, who can bring that emotion the most often? And I don't think there's I don't think there's a limit to how often you can do that. If you condition yourself and your team to do that every night, you understand what it takes. Like, that's part of it. It's not the talent. Mm. They, don't, they don't need more talent. They have guys that are playing better now. Yeah, that's good. That's, that's a belief. Like, like Max Domi and Bertuzzi, these guys, they have to play with that passion. These guys can be real, like, real problems for other teams because of an element that they can bring in their game. And when they do that and they're emotionally invested, like they feel a part of it, like what Bertuzzi didn't feel for most of the year, now he feels like he's a part of it. Look at his game. Mm-hmm. And that goes right down the line, the whole lineup. That is what every team tries to get consistently and what you absolutely need if you want to have success, especially in the postseason. If you do it all year long, when the postseason comes, you don't bike it up at a crazy rate where you can let things get away from you and get out of hand. You know how to handle those situations. And then you're calm and cool under certain pressures. You start every game on time. Mm-hmm. That. That part of it is what I think is going to really help the team, and that's why I think that what Morgan Riley did ultimately is going to help the team. Yeah, honestly, it's so it's you're in such a tough spot when you're in the city here because if you say uh, you believe that there's something that's going to impact their overall success, people just immediately start making the plan the parade jokes. No, I don't think that they're going to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup because of this, but I do. I do think that there is some meaning to be gleaned from this streak, especially for this group. And it's the things that you outlined that they ended up falling into. Like, yes, it's great that they, um, that they circled the wagons around Riley. Yes. It's great that, you know, they, they felt as though they needed some more emotion in their game, but that has translated in the streak to uh, them falling into figuring out, yeah, Domi and Bertuzzi need bigger roles and that they found this line together where there's real chemistry and yeah, the stuff that you're talking about that they, they really seem to have tapped into more guys on the team feeling like they're involved and that it's not just, hey, the four forwards and the, be- the rest of the team is just mercenary plug and play pieces that can end up between nine and 13 minutes basically every single night. And it has been the starts and the finishes and the attention to detail. And, and I do feel like at least you have this sample for the team. I'm sure that they'll lull again, right? It's a long season. I don't expect them to tear off the rest of the way. But when they do get to the postseason, they at least now have a little bit more of a proof of concept of how they can dominate. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, I've been, obviously, I've been traded to teams where I felt a part of it right away. I've been traded where I didn't necessarily feel like I was part of it right away it's a hard thing to do feel like you're on an island out there sometimes and when your roles change a little bit or if you feel like the coach might not necessarily have as much trust in you you need to kind of park it and you need to Mm -hmm. understand especially come playoff time like they're gonna play top guys as much as they can and keep them effective now you need to figure out a way to say we're all in it together that's going to be our best chance maybe it's not Maybe it's not so so much of a discrepancy between the top four forwards or whatever you want to call it, top three forwards anyway, mm. and the rest of the group. But there will be situations where that happens in a game. You have to do that if if you're coaching that team. You have to do that. That's you've got to play your best players. But if you're getting more from these guys, 
I mean, that's part of the job as a coach, I guess, trying to make them feel like they are needed. You also, as a player, need to prove that you can be. And I think they've done that better. It doesn't happen right away. There was there's new guys that come in, and it, sometimes it, right, out, right at training camp it works. Other times it takes a certain amount of games. They're good enough to keep themselves in the mix, just talent alone. But I like the emotional part of it. That's something that I always was wondering about this group. They're starting to show it, which is really positive. Yeah. Well, yeah, you were around some of these guys, and granted when they were much younger, but it, it really does feel like Morgan Riley, out of all of them, has been able to tap into that emotional side of the game that has wavered, I would say, at times with other stars on the team. Do you, do you feel like that's a fair assessment of him anyways? Yes, and he is he's calm under pressure. He he can handle things. He was mature when I played there years ago. And so if he gets rattled, you know it's genuine. And you kind of have to look at yourself. Be like, what can I do to help fix this? Because that's not Morgan Riley's personality. So he's he's understood and he's listened to. Like, these guys, he's a leader on that team and he has been forever. And, I mean, look, I... The young guys, when they were there, like Matthews and Marner and Nylander, these guys were, how they talked in the media or what they were like in the room, they're they're so committed to their craft, it's crazy. I don't think they get enough credit for that. You know, I don't want Austin Matthews taking a five-game suspension for cross-checking someone in the face. I, I, don't want, I don't want Morgan Riley doing that either, but something had to be done there, and Morgan knew it, and then, like, these guys are falling in line. Like, they're they're so committed to what they do. They've been around long enough together that I'm interested to see where it goes, um, you know, especially after March 8th, see what they do. But I, if I'm true living, I don't know I don't know what to do now because these guys are coming. It looks like a pretty deep team to me now. Yeah. No, that's, you know, that's actually the interesting thing moving forward here is if you are adding somebody, you're, you're taking away from somebody else within the group that is having success. The only place is they could really use a right shot D that could play next to Morgan Riley yeah. and absorb some minutes. Like that one's just not like no one's going to cry if William Lagason comes out of the lineup, right? He was, uh, I think, the team's ninth defenseman coming into the season and good year for him. Um, got some NHL games, but that's the the clear point of upgrade. But for the other guys, yeah, it's it does have to be a, a bit of a strange time as a player where you're on a team like this and you're hoping to add. You're hoping that, yeah, they, they bolster the group and that maybe it's the way that the front office feels about you go on down the line. But also, yeah, you got almost got to keep it quiet, your enthusiasm for this, because you know in that dressing room who exactly it could be that gets bumped. Well, yeah, but you just, you know as a team, like where are we most vulnerable to? Mm-hmm. Like that could be an approach. That's usually an approach. Like where are we most vulnerable if an injury happens? Mm-hmm. Like, if one guy goes down, a winger goes down, all right, depends on which winger, but you can kind of, I think you have enough talent there where you don't have to go out and spend future assets. And, you know, hopefully they don't take away from the group. That's always a tough one. But as a player, if you add some depth, just kind of know, like, all right, this is so, this isn't for right now, maybe, but it's for like middle of May. Mm-hmm. That's what they think of us. This is what we got to prove them right now. That's, but you can't. If you can't control it, that's part of the sort of the toughness part of it mentally. If you can't control it, the only thing you can do is continue to go out 
get yourself emotionally invested and play well. Mm-hmm. They won't take you out if you do that. If they, if they do, they'll put you right back in. It happened to me sort of later in my career. You know, we Mike Sullivan had this idea of a lineup that he thought he was going to start game one with. So in game 81, I was out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. Didn't go great. Game 82, I was back in, and I played all the playoff games. And mm-hmm. In my head, I'm like, well, he's, he's going to take me out today. I can't change his mind. But I know he's going to play me in the playoffs. And I told him that. I go, I know you're going to play me game one. So do whatever you have to do. He kind of smirks at me and skates away. But that's the mentality you have to have as an athlete. I like that. But also, you were you had had a full career under your belt, so you did know it, you know? Right. I would imagine that that's a lot harder for other guys. You know, this, actually, this is a... <sighs> We always you you mentioned it a little bit earlier about how you know you know come playoff time that the stars are going to play right, and we always talk about getting in a groove and getting in the right space as a player, and it, it, we've touched on it a little bit with the buy-in and some guys feeling better, the Bertuzzi's and the Domies, right? But those are supposed to be guys on this team that were playing 15 minutes a night. Those were supposed to be guys that that have a role, didn't have it consistently, are finding themselves, but. Do you think that we underestimate at times or underappreciate how hard it is for role players who have their minutes moved around or their or their responsibilities moved around in more significant ways? Because I think the idea we have as observers is, well, your role, your role is kind of supposed to be simplified. And so just do the simple things and don't make big mistakes and you're all right. Is that an oversimplification to you? Like, yeah, how, how do you feel about that when it comes to the depth guys trying to find a groove and, and, and trying to find their ice and their role with, yeah, consistency? Well, so my approach as a bottom six guy, especially in playoffs, was unless we had a matchup, mm-hmm. we're a home team, right? We have the matchup against one of the top two lines. It was That was a great opportunity to get excited about that. And if nothing happens... If it's boring, if it's low event, we did a great job. If we don't have that role, say we go on the road and we're playing whoever, like a third, another third line. Well, I would talk. I remember in Toronto, I talked to I talked to Cappy and, and Matt Martin about it. I go, this this is the third deep pair that they have, and we will dominate them. This is our chance. You know, the top lines are going to try. They're going to try and shut them down. Here's our chance to make the difference that this series is going to turn. We're going to win this series because our line's going to be better. And it worked in a couple of games, and it, it obviously didn't in a couple others. But, you know, we won a game in double overtime. Our line was on the ice. We had two goals that game. It was That was our opportunity to play against the bottom pair and the bottom lines. Let's be better depth line. You know, we played nine minutes, but it was a great nine minutes, and it ended up being a difference in the game. You can't look at it, a stat sheet after the game and huff and puff about how many minutes you got. You get shifts in the playoffs, it's the greatest thing ever. So however many you get, be ready for it. Prepare yourself to play 20 minutes. Mentally stay sharp if you're playing nine. That's the way I approach it all the time. That's what these guys should do. And playing straight lines, if you're not out there for 10 minutes of game time, yeah, you're not going to go and try and carry it through the neutral zone in three guys. Put it in, lay the wood down, beat some guys up. Seven game series. That's that was the approach. And if you're a skilled guy, you still got to play hard. Mm. What's it like for a player when you're in the rumor mill around this time of year? Like where you're, yeah, because because you've been there oh, before. Sucks. sucks. Yeah, yeah. It's <clears throat> you want you want it to happen. Just want it to be. Mm-hmm. Just want it to be done. If you know it's going to happen, um, you know. So in Tampa, we were kind of 
we were pushing for the last playoff spot with all our injuries. Mm-hmm. That was a hard time because it was like San Jose, Edmonton, Nashville, Toronto, all these teams. And <clears throat> my agent's calling me every day and I'm like, what do you, what am I supposed to do? I have no control over this. My wife was pregnant. He said, I can use that. Mm-hmm. And so you can sort of, you feel like you have no control. You might have a little bit, but you, you really are just at the mercy of whatever the deal is. And it's just, it's like at any moment it could all happen. And you're just hoping for the right place and try to convince yourself, well, it's going to be a playoff team, so that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not, it's, not e- it's not easy. It's kind of overwhelming with, like, I got to move, I got to pack, I got to make sure the family's taken care of. It's not easy. Well, that one was especially weird, though, for you, the Leafs Lightning one, because like you said, you're you're in a spot where you just mentioned the family stuff, but where your team still had belief, and then you're moving to a division rival to go and try and win. So there's that added kind of thing. I would imagine that it's a little bit easier when you're completely out of it, and your team is terrible, and you're like, man, this whole season has been a slog. We suck. We never win. Now I feel a little reinvigorated because I'm I'm going to a new spot. But is it at least like okay? Is it are you like an outlaw? You know how they had the wanted posters and you want to have like uh, ten thousand dollars for Josie Wales? <laughs> it's like at least you went for a second round pick. Like you get traded and you go, oh, I only went for a fourth. It's like that's got to be deflating. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I went for second rounders both times. I went that's what I mean. It's like, that's kind of nice, you, man. That's pretty what, good. What you said, well, yeah, but look, I mean, part of that's my salary, too. Mm-hmm. People forget that, like, how did this guy uh, You're a Debbie Downer, eh? You sort of look at the negative right away. You're like, oh, it's only because I'm cheap. <laughs> that's it. Like, it's <laughs> kicking your foot in the dust, man, head down. Anyways, yeah, two seconds. It's pretty good. Hey, yeah. flying coach. Yeah. Humble, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, yeah, that exactly. was that was the case. So, that was the case in Nashville. That was it. Like I, we were awful in Jersey the second year, and yeah. I wasn't. I mean, I played a lot of power play. I played a lot of penalty kill. I didn't play five on five, mm-hmm. six on five, five on six. I was on the ice. I'm like, I want to play in the game that's happening right now a little bit, mm-hmm. not just at the end. <laughs> and um, so that one, I was kind of like, my agent was like, Nashville wants you, and I, I was, I was a little more excited about that because then I started. It was like it took a week started paying attention. I knew a couple guys on Nashville. Mm-hmm. That was a little bit easier because I knew we were done. And, you know, that's just kind of, that was, I guess it's a great way to put it. Those are the two different, my two different stories. And that's, that's how different it can be. It's different for every guy, mm-hmm. but it is still hard to show up and get emotionally invested when you know you're at any moment, you're out the door. Yeah. You know what though? That would be a really fascinating thing to get to ask GMs and maybe something I'll file away, which is, that part of it is trying to figure out, hey, the guy that you're trying to go out and get, they might be a really good fit hockey-wise, but if mentally it's going to be difficult for them because, yeah, you know, young family or pregnant wife or would rather be somewhere else. Like, we always hear it when a guy has, oh, he doesn't want to play in a Canadian market. Like, those ones are easy where you go, okay, well, this guy doesn't want to be here. They're probably not going to trade for him. But, yeah, the, the state of the mentals in terms of what they've got going on and how deep – a team tries to dive into that element before they end up pulling the trigger, especially when it's real assets. So, uh, by the way, our, our crack staff figured you won nine in a row in 15-16. So, congrats to you. Nine game was pretty good. Leafs trying to match that. Uh, before you go, I got to ask you about Matt Rempe. Um, kind of looks like you. Uh, Flo, tall, Rangers. Uh, 
You had three scraps in your first year with the Rangers, 10 total in your first two years as a pro. You also fought Zenon Konopka, which is, oh man, that's a nasty scrapper. He's like, uh, I, it's, you know, there's usually rules where you see someone with cauliflower ears, you're like, don't fight that guy. And I've met Zenon a few times, and if I saw his nose, I'd be like, yeah, I'm obviously not going to fight you. <laughs> like, it's pretty clear that we're not doing this. You did, so good for you. Um, what do you, is it kind of like real life where, Sometimes the, the shorter, tough guy wants to just take a run at the bigger, taller player. He seems totally engaged in this. But now when you're a young guy and you're in the league, you're trying to make a name for yourself, it feels like you're a, a literally huge walking target now for everybody that also wants to make a name off of you in a fight. Yeah, it's, and if you're inexperienced, somebody like a Zen Kanopka who can tie you up in a weird way when he gets a little bit of a jump on you. Yeah. He knows he's not going to get an instigator because he's fighting a big tree. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but you show up. You show up. And he, look, I think he fought in preseason, comes out and fights in an outdoor setting in his first career game. Right away. And now everybody wants, a, you know, everybody wants a piece of him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I hope he, if he can skate, when he gets going, he can move. If he goes and runs a few guys, has to fight because of that, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could change a game for the Rangers because he's just so massive and he can move. And I, uh, I hope he doesn't think like I have to fight every single night for a while. But I also don't think he's going to say no to anybody because he's gotten the tap from some guys. He's he's tapped a few guys, asked them to go, and they've obliged. It's made a name for him. I don't know if he thinks he owes it to pays it forward to these other guys go. Uh, but you know he's it's it's quite the story because we're talking about it on this on this uh, channel now and, and we're we're talking about it on the NHL network and everybody's talking about it. And he plays for the Rangers. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to see. I want to see the kid become, you know, a really effective player. He's just imposing. And uh, but you know, I look back at Char when he started. He, he fought. He wasn't scared of anybody. He fought a lot. The league was a lot different. Oh, we're aware. But then he got better and better. And then, and then Chara just, Chara was very, very scary. This kid has the potential to do that. But it's a, it's a throwback, and we're talking about it because this doesn't happen anymore. Uh-huh. Like, that fight with Delorier was unbelievable. He was so good. It was just such a throwback. So, you know, Ryan Reeves going to go? That will be Has interesting to. to watch. Has to. Like, you have to try. Dude, so one, uh, us in Toronto, we know about the Chara thing because he helicoptered (laughs) Brian McCabe in what was one of the more, like, humbling moments for Leaf fans right in the midst of the Battle of Ontario. Like, this picture of Brian McCabe off his skates looking terrified as Chara swung him around like he was a child. Uh, And, yeah, but Chara had the, I think, what was his dad, like a wrestler? So we found out really quick that yeah. he had had this unbelievable strength. Tra- he was a freak. Everybody has unbelievable Chara stories from playing with him in terms of just like the, the physical fitness that he had. Uh, but yeah, the, have you ever been to uh, indoor lacrosse? Yeah, the box lacrosse? Yeah, yeah. So when you go to those games yeah. and they don't fight, 
you're like, this is the worst day of my life. <laughs> like I, I expected throwdowns. And when you see it too, it's like, they're not on skates. They're just in sneakers, right? They're right. pummeling each other. But still, yeah, it's not. awesome. It's so fun to watch. If I went to a Rangers game right now and Rempe didn't fight, I would be like, where's the, is there a refund booth that I can go to? I'd be so distraught. So I'm sorry that he's in this spot, but it's just... It's one of the hottest things in hockey right now. So he's just, I'm sorry, but he's got to keep doing it Saturday against Reeves. Like, it's got to go down. Reeves, if Reeves in the lineup, I, they got to fight. I, just, I know. He's just, he's so wide open when he does it, though. It's, I know. He's taking me a little bit, but he just, yeah. Shots. It's, uh, yeah, we got to just kind of tweak that and mm-hmm. then, then, then watch out. Because, I mean, he, I can't, he, he picked up the puck behind his goal, mm-hmm. behind his goal line last week. Took it 190 feet, softly laid in the corner, and then him and Edstrom, who's six seven, both ran the same guy. It looked like slap shot. I'm like, this is awesome. Mm-hmm. I would not want to play against this line right now. They can move. They're big. I just don't want them to fight so wide open because, man, he's taking some right to the face. Yeah, I, I wonder if the last fight there against Columbus was eye opener for him, where he's like, oh yeah, okay, <laughs> like maybe I. Maybe yeah, I it's the only way you can learn, though. Yeah. Maybe I gotta make some. Beat my face in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe make some adjustments. Uh, hey, Brian, always, oh, always a pleasure getting to catch up with you. Uh, sorry about coach, and I mean that for the people beside you too. Uh, thanks for making time, brother. <laughs> thanks, Judy. Appreciate it, man. See you, buddy. Uh, Brian Boyle, former NHL forward. Uh, yeah, tall, tall guy who sits in coach nightmare. You must do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I do. But I mean, he's a little taller than me. But yeah. it also, I, yeah. But you know, still, six. You're six four. Six no, five. No, remember we lot. You yeah, lie. I'm six four. Yeah, you're six four. Six four, and I'm just over six yeah, four. Yeah, let's yeah, say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Nobody wants to hear that. But uh, I also pay for the uh, emergency exit leg room. I'm hoping Brian Boyle does. So like twenty bucks, you get the extra leg room. Mm, okay. Yeah. Simon's yeah, so on the slender side, though. I wouldn't mind sitting beside him. It's not too bad. Yeah, I could bully him out of the armrest. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I would get it. I wouldn't say anything, but I'd sit uh, there silently oh, yeah. stewing That's for this entire Yeah, but I, but I would still win it. I would still win it. Uh, bro, Brian Boyle, you ain't winning it. You oh, got to no. sit the whole flight, arms crossed. Like, yeah. hmm. Oh. <laughs> 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 uh, that's you the just worst. end up sleeping on your like tray. You bring the tray down and you yeah. do the arms crossed. No, I've never done that. That's that's pathetic. That's <laughs> I've gone there. That's actually real beta behavior right there. <laughs> Laying down like a little kid playing seven up in school on the tray. Ah, no. seven up. No, you can't be doing that. That's too much. That's 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 too much. <laughs> you just, you can't that's sleep. Like you can't full sleep on the submission. plane. You gotta try. You gotta try new things. Full submission is that is leaning <laughs> forward and laying on the turtle tr- up on the tray. What seat are you in doing that? No, the- I'm just a I'm just in a regular coach seat, obviously. No, 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 but I mean if you're on the if you're on the window, you gotta lean back into the window. If you're in the aisle, you're leaning towards the like that's a middle seat move. Mm-hmm. Good if, good middle seat move. For no, sure. not a good middle seat move, especially since the second the person on the outside wants to get up. Like move your stupid head, you idiot! Like it's just it's that's a horrible move. You get need as soon as they make a move, you might get a knee to the bottom of that tray and pop you right in the bottom of the jaw. 
No, that's terrible. I don't ever want to hear any. If I ever see that on a plane, I'm going to, I, I would, if you were doing that beside me, I'd be like, Psst, hey, people can see you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 have some respect for yourself. <laughs> you know, your parents didn't, your parents didn't raise you to, to do this out here. Like, yeah, that's no, bad. Would you do this in front of your grandfather? No, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> Sit up. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's take a quick break. Let's come back. Hit what we missed. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right. Before we do what we missed, I never pay off my teases. I'm sure there's a billion people that have criticized me for this throughout my career. That's right. A billion people listen. Uh, I mentioned the Leafs goaltending situation now gets a little muddied because Joe Wool is back, which is awesome. He had the, his return with the Marlies was phenomenal. By all reports, I didn't see it. He looked like his old self. The numbers indicate that he was his old self. Uh, and I, I think I pointed this out the second Samsonov started to look good, which was, hey, what does this mean for the goaltending implication? What does this mean for the net? I think I did a segment on it the very first week of Samsonov. Was, yeah, starting to look good. Had it with Myrtle. People told me, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Some some other people kind of raised the red flag of splitting a net. We had Kelly Rudy on, and he was like, yeah, it's hard to get three guys to practice. Here's my thing. I agree with Kelly. He's right. To me, this is actually just sort of a special circumstance, though, where everybody understands exactly what's going on and what the roles are going to be. Does Martin Jones really need all that much practice? No, because he should never play. There should never be a game that Martin Jones gets into. Sorry, it's not enough net, dude. I actually already worry about is there enough net for Wool and for Samsonov because this has been two years in a row now where when Samsonov clearly gets the net and it's just his, he has performed much better. I'm not sure competition is the best thing for him. Uh, I like seeing him get a lot of run of games, getting to feel the puck, but if you know, you're the Leafs, you still want to be able to see Joe Wool. To me, this is how I would be deploying it. I'd be basically telling Samsonov, you're the man, you're getting the vast majority of the start still. This is not a 1A, 1B. It's a 1 and it's a 2. And Joe Wool is the 2. Is the leash super long for Samsonov? Nope. It's not a game, though. It's not a bad game. It's not topsy-turvy here. He's done enough. That might sound crazy to some people considering how good Wool looked when he was humming to the beginning of the year. There's a lot of people who think Wool is the higher ceiling goaltender. I don't really necessarily agree with that. I got to tell you, again, Samsonov was really good for the Leafs in the postseason last year. That's something that hasn't... Leafs haven't won a lot of playoff series. I don't know if people are aware of this. Samsonov also a high-pedigree goaltender. He's just older, and this is what we do with older players is we assume that the ceiling for them is lower than the younger guy who shows a flash of something. I think right now Joel Wool is a backup, plain and simple. He is just like any other backup. He's not getting more games. He's not getting less games. He's getting the second half of back-to-backs. The odds start when the schedule is a little too heavy. And that's it for now. As long as Samsonov is playing to this level, you got to keep riding him. And for Marty Jones, hey, bro, you got to know. This is this is what it is. It's not like Martin Jones, if he's getting released, is going to go start for another team. You know, his guy's dying to get in the net. He's a veteran who signed for the minimum who was already waived this season and other teams had an opportunity to go out and grab him. He's there to sit back, be a mentor to the young goaltenders, answer any questions, and be there if needed 
God forbid, another injury happens to these guys. But they're not in a cap crunch of any kind. They don't owe him any practice time. He's old enough where he shouldn't need it as much anyways, especially considering, again, he's not going to play, nor should he play. I mean, I would be astonished. It would be awful. to, see, And I don't mean this as any type of disrespect to Martin Jones because I really respect the career and what he's done for the team this season. But he started to normalize. And yeah, flat out. The other two guys should be better. And the other two guys are far more important to this team's success. If Martin Jones is playing for the Maple Leafs in the playoffs, disaster has struck. And they're probably not long for this world anyways. What did Boyle just say? It's a few things that really change the outcome for a team. And one of them is if you just can't get any saves. And that kind of has been Martin Jones lately. Anyways, to me, it's not, it's, it's not an issue until I hear it's an issue. So far, it seems like all these goaltenders get along. They all kind of understand their spot in the pecking order. To me, it's not so much a what do you do with the three goaltenders thing. It's how is the dynamic going to work between the two guys with Samsonov's incumbent, clearly the future of the position playing underneath him, a guy that allows the Leafs to have versatility in terms of their offseason going, well, we don't need to pay you because we have this guy and we feel like we can shore up the net with a backup for him. How, how does a guy like Samsonov, who has struggled with the mentals of the game, handle the pressure of having a guy underneath him when we've seen a clear sample that he is better when he is not challenged in the net and he gets to play a lot of games? We'll see. Anyway, uh, all right, what did we miss? Let's start with some TV news. Uh, Blue Mountain State sequel is uh, apparently in the works. Alan mm. Richson uh, reportedly set to reprise his role as Thad yeah. Castle. What do you think? Blue Mountain State coming back for a little First sequel all, series. I, Blue Mountain State, I love. Mm-hmm. I love that show. Mm-hmm. What uh, immediate? I think it was Spike TV. I think it was, which is classic. Yeah. So good. So funny. Radon? Mm-hmm. Amazing. Season two, Radon, naked with the money on him. <laughs> Great. Thad, incredible character. I'm nervous about this sequel because I'm nervous about all sequels. I'm so happy this is your okay, take. Yeah. Because I was worried you were going to be all in. And like at this point, no. the, the next good sequel will be the first good sequel. Yeah. That's my kind of take. So there's a couple things, a couple layers to this though. One is that The the comedy climate has changed. Mm-hmm. You make Blue Mountain State now, it's not Blue Mountain State. It just isn't. Yeah, there's a reason Spike TV yeah. isn't a station yeah, it, anymore. It, bingo. <laughs> so when you have to be careful with the stuff and mm-hmm. you feel like there's an added emphasis on being careful, I I don't think it's going to work out. Um it just doesn't I, – I don't think that a show like that that's supposed to be raunchy mm-hmm. and supposed to be edgy is going to work when there's expectation for co- – did you guys see the new season of Futurama? No. I gave up on it. It sucked. Yeah. Why? I- because Futurama was a funny, edgy show that pushed boundaries when it was on. And, and people weren't as sensitive to this stuff and they weren't worried about having someone take a clip and put it in on Twitter or Instagram or on a reel or a thing out of quote and, and being and critical of the – the creators of the product, mm. right? Now the stakes have completely shifted. And so got to be more diligent with the writing. And that, that to me is just never when really real funny stuff happens. And so I'm never really a fan of sequels in general. Mm. I don't like trying to recapture comedy, especially in different eras. Like going from one era of comedy to the next is a really tough bridge to gap. I think it was easier, you know, from you know Animal House days where you were going sure. from like, hey, we're going to try to do a reprisal of this because... Yeah, again, we didn't have the internet, but nah, this is yet. Chalk up another one to things the internet ruined. 
uh, comedy movies because it's and, and TV shows because we haven't. I, I can't tell you when the last great comedy movie was. Um, they kind of died out at the end of uh, the well, the guys that made super bad the, the Apatow era. Yeah, yeah, like Apatow and those guys like really crushed some. But now, like, Apatow I, went on an all time. Yeah, he did. There. But that, but that's <laughs> what I'm saying is I, I I use this reference a lot. But if you were a university kid, what would be the comedy movie that you have the poster of on you know your dorm room wall? I don't know if kids still do posters or if you guys even go to school anymore because Armin's generation <laughs> below, they were like, we don't want to go anywhere anymore. We just want to be inside. We just want to be inside our parents' house and that's where we want to be all the time. Uh, <laughs> we never want to leave. We don't want to go outside with our friends. We don't want to go to the bar. We don't want to go meet girls. We just want to be inside on our computers and play Fortnite. Uh, that's it. That's all we want to do. And whatever <laughs> next game comes out. Um, and then we want to watch YouTube clips of basketball games and pretend we know basketball and have takes like Tyrese Halliburton is the best playmaker <laughs> in NBA history. That's, that's a how this generation works. after me, no, dude. This is what, yeah, sorry, that's right. not me. Yeah, that's you. Uh, anyway. Uh, that's the 2000s and I'm going to be crazy. the 90s, baby. It is going to be oh, crazy. Okay. It is going to be so wild when sports shows or pods are done by that generation who doesn't watch games, they just watch YouTube highlights. And so they're going to be like, wow, everyone's the best. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just also Alan the best. Richson, 41 years old. Yeah. No, he's going to be a coach. A co- oh, is that Obviously. what's going on? Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. He's going to be a coach. He's uh, not going to come back as a college student. I thought it would be like, kind of funny. Master's if he did. No. Program. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's going to come back as a coach. Definitely. Here's the thing about him too, is he's in a show right now called Reacher, Reacher which yeah. I actually enjoy. I think it's like a fun great. watch. Yeah. I don't think I finished. I think I, I will admit that it's not so good that I went all the way through, but it was yeah, one of those. I don't think like, you need to, right? It's like, it's a, no, but it's a, put fun, it on, it's a fun but watch. It's a good, it's a good, just easy. Yes. Uh, don't think too hard That's about exactly this show. And also he throws in some great lines, but then I saw an interview with him where, I, I think it was just on Instagram or something, but it was an interview where he was apparently in Montreal and he chased down a carjacker and he's there with his wife or he's making a joke. He's like, I went full reacher and I, uh, and I went, no, you're that uh, kind of guy where you thought you, because you take steroids that uh, you're the superhero and don't get it twisted. He's taking tons of steroids. <laughs> that guy is, <laughs> it's not a natural body. Everybody is you're like, Oh, what's your workout regimen? It's like, nah, steroids. That's what that is. That is, I'll never forget my favorite Matt Hayes thing ever yeah. is that he didn't think The Rock was on steroids. It was one oh, of the sweetest things in terms of wrestling. Hardest working man in sports yeah. entertainment. <laughs> yeah, it was like, right? <laughs> and then he started doing pain and gain. Remember that? Yeah, and he was yeah, like, yeah. yeah, man, can you just please? He's like, all right, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> the best. Sweetest, my sweet boy, uh, who looks exactly like Brian Boyle. I know, we talked about like, this yesterday. There's no way of bringing it up with Brian where it's like, hey, hey my, my friend best friend looks like, looks like you. <laughs> And exactly like you, it's not yes. like a, it's not, it's out of every, and you would, I'm, uh, this is how close it is. I don't even feel like I'm forcing this take on you out of everybody you've ever met in your entire life. Has there ever been a more like exact doppelganger than Brian Boyle and Matt Hayes? No, they look no, the no, exact no. same. They, and it's I mean, like they, a running joke in the Sportsnet newsroom of it's, like it's insane. when Boyle was playing and he'd yeah. score, like everybody yeah. would yeah. go no, to Matt like, Hayes and give him dabs and be like, it's hey, he scored again. Like they look the exact same. Uh, uh, anyway, like he has had other NHL players think that he is Brian mm-hmm. Boyle. Anyway. And he's uh, also super tough. Like, yeah, no, they're the, the whole same guy. Same, <laughs> like, they're the exact same guy. It's insane. Matt Boyle, or sorry, Brian, Matt Matt Boyle, Brian Boyle does have 13 brothers and sisters, and so maybe Maddie was just like the lost one. Yeah, there you go. Anyways, what else? Cam Newton. Uh, oh, Apparently got in a big time fight, or I mean, not apparently, the video service that, yeah, that so shows good. that Cam Newton got in a huge fight at a yeah. seven-on-seven youth football tournament yeah. uh, in Atlanta. 
It was I mean, kids. It was kids. And guess what? They look like kids because he ragged all. Well, them. so here's We're the late. other thing. Cam Newton's huge. Yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder that Cam Newton is huge. I need the rest of this story. I know some stuff's kind of what, come out. Stuff? It seems yeah, like. I got a little stuff. Yeah, so but... it was trash talking, a lot of trash talking going on in that tournament over yeah, yeah. the weekend. So it basically boiled over from the day before yeah. and then on to like the Sunday, I guess it was. And then I don't know what it was. Like they didn't even give details past just the trash talking. Yeah. Like just reached a boiling point and, and they ended up going at them. And these are 18 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. So dude, that is, there's it. nothing more 18 year old dude. Than thinking you could beat up Cam Newton. <laughs> like that is just that the false bravado of that to go at the six foot five former football player who's most known for being unstoppable in the toughest place to score is amazing. He's those guys are lucky that he just didn't fill one kid in. Like, does he, yeah. just, he does, his hat doesn't even move the whole time <laughs> in the video, his hat doesn't move and he's just ragdolling them. And you see his power versus again, those high school athletes, one of them would destroy me. Like yes. one of them would pick my bones with their teeth. And here's Cam Newton, just like it's one on four scale. or five and just <laughs> using one hand to ragdoll these It's dudes. a sliding scale. One of the coaches like who, who has spoken on it yeah. since said, and I quote, typical Cam. So it's good to know that Cam Newton was just out there talking <laughs> so Cam. much junk and yeah. like ready to just fight. Yeah, all right. What's next? Uh, what is next? Sorry, I was looking at the Cam Newton. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bronny. Bronny, yeah. the latest ESPN mock drafts have Bronny in the 2025 yeah. draft. Uh, LeBron took to Twitter to kind of say like, hey, LeBron. chill out. Let him let the kid play. All this type of stuff. Any Bronny thoughts? My thought primarily is to crap on LeBron again where it's like, dude, again, <laughs> you named your kid LeBron James and... He did say he regretted that. Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, so, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Two is where he's like, it's like throwing out the bat signal of like, leave him alone. Only just a kid. No, but you're the, you're the only reason that we know about this kid. Mm -hmm. And two, (laughs) no one's looking at ESPN's mock draft, right? It's like a segment on a daytime NBA show. Correct. That goes away in a second. But then this, but as soon as LeBron decides to be like, the most famous athlete in the world. He's he's genu- he's Quiggum standing in front of the plane crash, being like, "Nothing to see here." <laughs> oh my god! Keep it moving. Where- Braun also deleted the tweets. I'm on oh, his Braun right deleted now. them. Yeah, the yeah, mock but draft that's because tweets, yeah. does a stupid thing to tweet. Like no one's paying attention to this until the guy with how many Twitter followers does LeBron have? Thirty million? Oh no, that's <laughs> I was like that's too many. Fifty-two million. Fifty-two million. Holy crap! Is way more than I would have thought. Anyway, um. Yeah, just tough look for Braun. And yeah, th- I, like his kid's averaging like five points at USC. Yeah. It's pretty clear he's not a NBA prospect. Like it's, his name is just anything. If his name is Armin Zargarian. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, leave five stars and we'll see you tomorrow with Ryan Callahan.